is where we're going to be at. You know, I, I meant to have. Right, thank you very much. So, I have. Uh, I I was supposed to have a special announcement. I'll go ahead and make it now. Um, and it's been one I've been waiting to make, and I I know that some of us already know about it, but it's in Philippians two. I'm going to start here in Philippians two, verse twenty, verse nineteen, because I think it it really summarizes some of my heart. But in uh, in Verse 19, it says this. Paul's writing to the church in Philippi. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interest, but not those of Christ, of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself Because as a son with a father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. You know, um, Paul's writing about Timothy. He says, I have no one else like him. And he goes on to talk about um, Epaphroditus, who also ends up uh, going and that he sends as well. But... um, it, David actually is going to be moving to Boston here in September to uh, to go and be closer to his, his awesome girlfriend Olivia. He's got a um, an internship uh, for a trade skill that he's he's lined up down there. Though I expect he's still going to try to pursue the ministry, and I think that's going to end up happening for him. But uh, it's one of those things where I've I don't have anybody else like you, bro. You know, as those of us who know David, his heart of humility and love. Uh, is amazing. I mean, it's truly been a huge, huge blessing to have him as a great friend. And while he hasn't been like a son to me, he's been like an exceptional little brother. Um, I, I would say that it's, it's been one of the joys of my life, our friendship and our relationship working together. So he will be he will be going on in September. Uh, it is kind of a natural thing at this point. I think uh, many of us who've been here, we've seen some great people come and go at different points. And that is kind of how the church works. We see that even in the early church, in Philippi, you know, that they're getting Timothy. They're getting Epaphrodite. They're, so many great men and women of faith would move from place to place to encourage different churches, to help stimulate the kingdom and help them grow. And it's just a natural part of that. Right. And so with that, though, that actually leads straight into the title of my sermon this morning. Uh, it's growth is only natural. Right. Growth is only natural. And, uh, you know, growing pains, sometimes they hurt. Right. And we're all being a part of seeing the kingdom grow uh, as we see people move and spread and become disciples. Some people will move away and some will stay for decades. Right. And uh, but growth in itself is only natural in our own bodies as we grow, which, you know, I've kind of stopped growing this way, at least, um, you know, I've I remember the aches and the pains that used to come with it. Now, the I'm beginning to experience the aches and the pains the other way, I assume. But, uh, you know, that's that's starting to happen. But, uh, you know, with it, it's just growth is natural growth of the church and, and God and the way that he designed his kingdom is growth is only natural, right? And so if you've got a Bible, turn over to Matthew 13. And we're going to be looking at what Jesus says about His kingdom today, right? 
Wednesday night, we, uh, Peter did an awesome lesson on the kingdom. I'm sure everybody, most of us should have those slides. If you want the slides and don't have them, let us know because I'm sure Peter will eagerly uh, get them to you. But we've been doing our parable series going through. And today we're going to be looking at, at this one here in Matthew chapter 13. Uh, and looking at what Jesus says about his kingdom. How, how he designed it from the very beginning, right? And so we're going to pick up in verse 31 of chapter 13. You guys with me this morning? Yeah. Amen. Man, I, I, you know, it's, it's, for me, it's a somber moment to say amen. Like one of my really great friends is having to move away. So not usually how I want to start a sermon. Like, oh, you know. But uh, it's God's word. And we're knowing that this, we're helping the kingdom move forward. So verse 31 of chapter 13 says, Jesus, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. And though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them still another The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these parables to the crowd, or spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. And so was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables, and I will utter things hidden since the creation of of the world. Now, I think that last part in, in the last verse is really interesting. He says, I will open my mouth in parables, and I will utter th- things hidden since the creation of the world. Now, what does that tell me, just briefly? It means that from the beginning, God had a very clear vision and plan for what he wanted to accomplish. Now, we didn't always get to be, you know, privy to that plan. But now he's trying to tell us. And what Jesus says is those who have ears to hear, listen. Like, hear hear what I'm saying. If if you want to know, really listen to what I'm trying to say. And and you're going to get it. Right? You're going to get it. But he speaks in parables because there are those who are like, nah, I don't really care. It's like selective listening. Selective hearing. I got accused of that all the time as a child. Uh... Every once in a while, I still get accused of it. Uh, I'm not a child, but amen. You know, but it it happens. But he's saying, you know what? I've had a plan since the beginning for what is going to happen. Right? And in that plan, he starts talking. He's telling this parable about the kingdom. And he's saying, it's been meant to grow. Right? And so point one is simply just bound to grow. Right? It's, it's, It's bound to grow. The title is Growth is Only Natural, but point one is it's bound to grow. And so when you think about, I want to break this down a little bit in the context. So a mustard seed, who in here has seen a mustard seed? Okay, so a few of us, like, they're tiny. I mean, they're like, if you're writing with a pen right now, they're just slightly bigger than, like, the the point of your pen. Depends on which type of pen you have, I guess. But they're very small. And they're not actually the smallest Exactly of seeds because 
the, there was another type of uh, a cedar tree actually has slightly smaller seeds than what they would have had. But this seed is so small that it's become like a, uh, a proverbial illustration of smallness. I mean, they're like, it, it, was, it was what you would use if you're just trying to say it's, it's as small as it could possibly be. Well, you use a mustard seed to illustrate that, right? It's like, that's so tiny. It's so, so tiny. But what, what Jesus is saying is this idea of something that, that is supposed to be the smallest illustration I can give you that we understand, he's going, this smallness that we're going to start with grows into something huge. And in the garden, it becomes this, I mean, there's... The mustard seed plants we have here are actually different than the mustard seed plants they have in the Middle East. They grow much larger than the ones we get. They, they grow into essentially being trees. They're huge. And if you look it up, there's people standing like near them, and they're multiple times the, the size of a man. They're broad, and they're very tall. And so he's using this illustration to say this little seed is going to grow into a tree. And this is a illustration that some might remember in his time period because in Ezekiel which is one of the prophets in the Old Testament he actually uses the illustration of a tree to represent another kingdom and he's talking about the Assyrian kingdom and he says yeah your kingdom is going to be Ezekiel is telling this to uh, the Assyrians he says your kingdom it's like a great cedar tree it's this incredible tree and the birds all he says the birds and the beasts flock to your tree and and come to its shade and sit in its branches and he goes that those birds and those beasts he's illustrating them as other nations he's saying you're going to be one that others will come to and find rest in but then he ezekiel goes on to say but yours is going to get cut down and he tells, the, he tells them this. But he, he goes on. And so Jesus is using a similar parable here in the sense that he's saying, I'm going to establish a kingdom and it's going to start as small as can be. And it's going to become the greatest in all of the garden. And what does the garden represent? It represents the world. And, and he's saying, you know, a mustard seed, a mustard tree plant, tree plant, I mean, it's so large, um, but it was one of those where the other birds would flock to these trees. They'd come and they'd come to them and they would eat the seeds out of them. They would rest in the trees. They would find rest and they would find sustenance in this tree. Right? And this tree is meant to represent the kingdom of God. Right? And when the birds of the air and the beasts of the field come to it, they find a place of rest and a place of nourishment. Can you guys see where I'm going with that a little bit? Because the kingdom, he's saying, that's what, you're, that's what we're going to be. For, for the people, for the other nations, they're going to come to this kingdom and find these things here, right? But what does he say about it? He says, before it becomes this great thing, it's got to start so, so small. Right? It's got to be something that it's going to begin small. And, and you're not going to get much smaller than some backwater teacher from this tiny town called Nazareth 
right? This one individual guy. And if you don't know, Nazareth was like a nowheresville town. It's like the northern part of Maine that they don't even give names to. They just have like letters and numbers to. Uh, it's like that, right? It's just not, it's, it's, they're like, one of the disciples actually makes a joke. He's like, Nazareth? What good could come from Nazareth? Like, nothing good has ever come from there. And that's where Jesus is coming from. They called him Jesus of Nazareth, right? This is small. And then it goes, and, and Jesus starts teaching, and he's giving all these lessons, and he, he gets these apostles around him, or his, some disciples. And then they kill him, right? And everything's, oh, well, there we go. Like, we killed the Messiah, we've just really messed up. Like, oh my goodness. And then he comes back to life, blows everybody's minds, to say the least, right? Um, which this isn't a... Sometimes I can feel like I'm watching, like, a Marvel movie when I talk about some of these things. Like, a man came back to life, and I'm not describing, like, a screenplay by Josh Whedon. I'm talking about, like, God's word saying, hey, you know what, this actually happened. Historians know Jesus was alive, and then you had hundreds of people who would see it. That, that got to see Jesus come back. Yeah. You know, they saw him die and come back to life. And so what ends up happening is by the time Jesus leaves, you've got roughly a little over a hundred people who really have, have faith in what's going on, right? He is... He, he, there is all of these people, not all, it's not this huge amount, but it's a good amount of people. And what did they begin to do? They begin to talk about Jesus. They begin, to, they begin to go and tell them the good news of the gospel. And what eventually happens is you have the word being spread to the entire world. Now, there are places in this world still who, if you ask people if they know who Jesus is, they will tell you no. I remember Kristen, remember I went to Australia and she's sharing her faith and coming across people from, uh, there was a young lady from China, if I remember right, and she reached out to and she's like, do you know anything about this? And she's just said no, right? And it's, it's just new nothing. And so there's an element there that that kind of inspires me a little bit because it means that our work is not done. This tree is not done growing yet. Right? That there are places in the world who've never heard of it. Who've never heard of Jesus. That, that still need to get the message out there. Does that make sense? But Jesus' point from the beginning, he goes, I started it small to grow into something big. But planting that seed takes people to plant. Right? It takes people who, who get out there and help make it grow. You know... I was reading, uh, and I came across this story of a Christian writer, and he was a missionary um, to Africa, and he's sharing about how they evangelized Africa. And one of the things he's writing about, he says that they had this group of people, and this is in, you know, how they're going to evangelize in the 20th century. This is, like, I think it's the 50s and 60s. And so they're talking about they need to get these pamphlets, and they need to get letters and flyers, and they need they want to send these things to, to these people, and... He's in Africa trying to figure out how do we, how do we, we're going to reach these communities. And it seems like he's got other missionaries there. And there's just a young African girl uh, in the room with him as they're kind of brainstorming these ideas. And she speaks up and she, she says, uh, I wrote down uh, where I saw this. It said, 
It says, you know, when we want to take Christianity to one of our villages, we don't send literature. We send a Christian family to live in their village. And they make the, Christ, the village Christian by living there. And it, it kind of hit me, because as I came across this story, it reminded me that, you know, we can have a great website. We can have cool signs outside the door, right? We can put on, we can put out Facebook ads. You know, we could put out 10,000 Facebook ads for like $10 or something like that. I mean, not a lot of money to let people know that our church is here, right? That, that they can come here to hear the word of God. We can make posts on French Port, Front Porch Forum and let them know about cool activities we are doing in our community. All these things we have done and we do, right? But what it reminded me of is that the kingdom is grown from person to person. Right? It's grown from person to person. It's grown from sharing our lives and telling people about the kingdom of God. What is the gospel? What is the good news? You know, it's not just handing an invitation. Yeah, we should do those things too, but it's about living our lives with people. Right? And, and I thought, this young girl is talking about how they would send a family to live in a village. Some of our neighborhoods are probably the same size as some of these villages that this girl's talking about, right? And we think, you know what? This is our village to help become Christians, right? This is our community. You think about the college campus, that's your dorm. Your dorm is a village, right? You think about where we live in, in our condo association and our, our different places. These are our communities. These are our villages that, that we're, God has put us. He has planted us as the seed, right? We, you are the seed, of what's going to be growing, of God's kingdom growing in your community, right? And God has meant it to grow. That you're, you are bound to grow, and God believes in your ability. He believes in you able to do it, but it requires that we do need to talk about it and share our lives and have those relationships with people. Does that make sense? And, and through that, we see the kingdom of God become the mightiest of the kingdoms in the garden. One that's never going to get cut down, Right? It's going to keep growing. It's going to keep growing and keep growing and keep growing because God has just designed it to be that way from the very beginning. He's got a vision, but most importantly, not just a vision for his kingdom. He has a vision for you in his kingdom. I pray you can catch that vision and be encouraged by the nourishment God's trying to do and work through you. Does that make sense? Let's catch that vision as we're, we live as part of this bound to grow we're bound to but it grows by person to person right and and god has made it god has made us to be a part of that growth he knows that we can do it he knows we can do it he knows that together with him we can change our world we can change our villages our neighborhoods our communities right by his power with him working together and so Point two is a world needing change. And if you're spelling needing, it's spelled K-N-E-A-D-I-N-G. Uh, all right? So that's needing, like you need some bread. All right? So uh, a world needing change. Look at the scripture again in verse 33. Because I, I want to read this really quickly again. 
He, Jesus is telling the parable. Now, first one, he's, he's talking to... Well, let's just read this one. He says, He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked through all the dough. Um, now, I'll pause here and talk about Jesus for just a second. Jesus was a revolutionary. Jesus was a guy that annoyed people. People also loved him, but man, people, some people hated him. They killed him. I mean, come on. They hated this guy because he was, his teachings were turning the world upside down. They would even say that later in, in parts of Europe, right? They're saying these guys have come here and their teaching is turning the world upside down. Jesus was a revolutionary in so, so many ways. He was an advocate for the voiceless and the marginalized. You know, his coming was changing the world and would lead it, as I said, to be, his teachings would lead it to be said that they're turning the whole world on its head. You ever, you ever just had, like, found some news or found out something that you just felt like your world got turned upside down? Right? That, that you just felt like this, this changes everything? This is what Jesus' message is. And sometimes we can get, we can get used to the message and, and think like, hey, it's meant, I feel upside down. And so you just kind of get used to seeing it that way. But the world, the world is going to take issue with it. But he's always trying to change it. You know, at this point, as I said, Jesus, he's a revolutionary. He's talking to one of the largest marginalized group in the entire world. In fact, he's talking to about 50% of the world in this parable. And, and I think he's doing it in kind of a discreet way. But you think about it, there's so many parables. You know, for the, the parable of the sower, he takes from a farmer's field. The mustard seed, he takes from a gardener's garden. The parable of the fish and the nets, he takes from the fishermen on the Sea of Galilee, right? The treasure in the field, he hits up the regular worker who's out there digging and digging holes, right? You have here, though, one of the first times, or, or one of these times, that Jesus is talking to the home. He's getting into the kitchens of people's homes of this Jewish community. All of, so many of these others, those illustrate exactly to who? They illustrate to men. This illustration, who does this speak to? Who do you think is making the bread for most of these communities? Women. Women are baking the bread. And what is his, his parable here in this point? He says, hey, ladies, so you get this, right? The yeast that can work its way through the dough is the kingdom. You're a part of that. This is one that women specifically would get. And what I, I, if you don't know anything about yeast, when you add yeast to dough, it changes the fundamental characteristics of that dough. It, it, on the enzyme level, it's changing that dough. Now let's be clear. This is not an exciting process to watch. All right? You, you, you need that, some, some of that in there. You need some of that leaven into this bread. Right? And then you just let it sit there. 
It's very exciting. Right? No. It's not a glamorous thing. It's about as exciting as watching paint dry. But it's changing it through time to change that makeup of that dough. And that dough is our world. And here to this, I, I believe that he's speaking and giving this illustration to women who are so, I mean, you've got to understand, in this society, there was a daily prayer, not just in Jewish, they, they, it's been changed a little bit from different communities, but in the Jewish community, specifically, there was a daily prayer by men that said, Lord, thank you for not making me a slave, thank you for not making me a Gentile, and thank you for not making me a woman. These were daily prayers for men. This was the type of society that these women were living in. And, and here you have a parable that women especially would understand. And he's saying, and the parable's meaning is, you can change the world. You can change the world. And it may happen slowly, but little by little, you will change the foundational, enzymatic aspect of that bread, this world. Because you have that influence. You have that power from the kingdom of God, through God. And I look at this and I go, what does this say? Jesus is trying to empower these people. I think it's, a, I think it's notable to say that he's trying to empower women. I think, I, I believe that in this. You look at Jesus, what he did, he was a revolutionary in so many ways. He was a voice for the marginalized. He was an advocate for the weak, right? And here he's, he's making a statement. I believe, and, and I believe he's encouraging women, you can do it. And not just women, it's us men too, but I don't think we men always need that sort of encouragement because there's a lot of ways that we get encouragement through it. I think he's trying to make a point, it's not just for you. Right? It's not just for you being men, but for women as well. And I'll add this, you know, as I said, sometimes people can feel like I don't have the, uh, I don't have the power I need to make change in the world. I don't have the voice loud enough. I'm not given all of the opportunities I need. I, I don't have all of these things. And I'm not saying some of those shouldn't be given. But what I am saying is that that may be an excuse to say, are you saying you're powerless? Because that's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is, it takes time to work its way through the dough. But you can change it. You can change your world and, and what's around you, right? It's not always glamorous or flashy. It's not always exciting. But you can make change. And I, I love that aspect of Jesus, how he's, he's speaking up. For some of you, that may not be as exciting. I think it's pretty cool. It's one aspect I love about Jesus. But he is just talking about how we, as the church, can change the world. And it's little by little. Sometimes it's little conversations. Sometimes it's daily conversations where we're breaking people's... That, that, you ever met that hard-hearted person? Anyone know some of those people that you feel like it took you years to really wear that person down before you got to get into their heart a little bit. Um, sometimes that's just what it takes. Working as the yeast 
and, and breaking it down, breaking down the walls, breaking down the structures that are going to keep them from knowing God. And it's a process that sometimes happens slowly, but it needs to be happening, right? And that's what Jesus is talking about. The kingdom is meant to be growing. It's going to work its way through. And we are a part of that. We're the yeast. There's a lot more I could say about what yeast was in that society and everything, but I'll put it this way. Yeast was also not glamorous. Yeast was actually considered defiled, uh, unholy. Uh, If it was a holy day, you actually had to get rid of all the yeast or anything that had yeast on it in your house. And... But Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is like yeast. There will be marginalized. There will be those who are, uh, that need advocates for them. There will be those who should be in the church because Jesus is trying to say, it's not maybe what you think it is. And all of this, I just want to put it out there. Church, we are meant to grow. And we have been growing. I'm going to encourage, you know, and right now the summer, it's kind of funny because you never know who's going to be here. Last week we had like so many people and this week we have some of us less, but it just varies. And we see that. But you know what I am encouraged by? We took the role here to move here to Burlington. If we had this many chairs out, there would have been twice as many empty chairs as there would have been people in the room. Right. And this isn't even all of us, which is so encouraging. The church is growing here, right? And we're seeing growth. But we just got to keep focused that this is what we're called to do. This is how God made us. That he believes in us. That he's planted a seed in us. And he's planted us in our communities to grow there. And to help grow faith. And to reach other people for God. And to change this world. Because this world is in need of change. So let's work together, church. Let's be what God has seen us to be from the beginning. Let's be a part of bringing change to the world we're in. Let's grow as individuals, but let's grow as a church. And to see ourselves reaching out to our communities. You've got a role to play as a part of this church, as a Christian. You have, God has designed you to reach others, to help others become Christians. Let's be what God has designed us to be. He believes in you, I believe in you. Believe in yourselves. Amen.